Good afternoon, everyone. I'm excited to share the word with you. Uh, if you have a Bible or a device, you can go ahead and open it up. Uh, and so today we're going to be talking about salvation as extravagant devotion. Salvation as extravagant devotion. And so we've been talking for the past few weeks and even a couple of months uh, about salvation not just being a one-time event, but that it is a progressive thing, that salvation uh, is not just the time where you come and put your faith in Jesus that one time, but that it has an impact on your life for all of your life, in fact, for eternity. Uh, and so if you want to turn to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be starting at verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 together and hear what the Lord has for us. And it says this, It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. And not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. And while he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, we're going to talk a little bit about that. As he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. And in verse 7, you always have the poor with you and you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Yes, that's a key verse. And truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray and ask the Lord what he will reveal to us through this passage. God, we thank you so much. And we are so grateful that you are God and that we are not. That you know all things and that we do not. That you are a God who has sovereign, significant plans for our lives. That you are shaping the very pathways that we walk in. And so, Lord, we ask that you help us to yield to you, to your will, to your plans that are good, that are perfect, that are right. And Lord, as we go into this text, we ask that you would illuminate it, that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear from you in this brief moment. That, Lord, that something in us might be challenged, that something in us might be convicted, but also that something in us would be encouraged. And, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do a transformative, meaningful work within us. And so do this now, we pray in your name. Amen. So in the first verse in chapter 14 of Mark, we see that we enter in, and it's just a few days, two days exactly, just before the Passover. 
Now, the Passover for the Jews was a time where they would pause, remember, and celebrate this moment of deliverance from Egypt, where they would remember, pause, and celebrate the fact that God in his goodness would deliver them from captivity and oppression from the Egyptian Pharaoh and his people. And so what they would do is they would gather around a meal and they would have unleavened bread, bread that didn't have any yeast, and they would remember how the Lord brought about a plague on the people of Egypt. Now, if you remember, in the book of Exodus, Moses has been raised up to be a prophet for the people of God, and he goes to back to Egypt, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, hey, hey, Pharaoh, oh, let my people go. I don't know if y'all know that little kid song, right? And Pharaoh says, no, God sends a plague. But then Moses goes back to Pharaoh and he says, hey, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh once again says no. And the Lord sends another plague. And this continues on until we get to the 10th plague, the plague of the firstborn or the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And at that moment, God tells Moses You are to tell the people of God in order that the death angel will pass by them and spare their firstborn children. You are to slay or slaughter a lamb and take its blood and place it on the door. And then the death angel will pass over as this plague takes over uh, the Egyptian people. So they do that. And the Passover is remembering this time where the Lord spared them, but also delivered them. There's a whole sermon in that by itself that the Lord, through the slaying of a lamb, has delivered and passed over the people of God. But today, when we also look at verse 2 and a little bit the second part of verse 1, we see that in this Passover moment, the religious leaders are coming and planning and strategizing on a way in order to kill Jesus, to take his life. And they say in verse two, not during the festival. Why? Because they knew that Jesus had amassed a following. He had a crowd of individuals that were loyal and faithful to him to some extent. They had seen his miracles and his signs and wonders, and they had listened and heard the authoritative teaching uh, of, of Jesus. And so they did not want to cause a ruckus or a riot among the people. And verse 3 tells us that while he was in Bethany, and Bethany was a small village of just about two miles outside of Jerusalem, that he was at the house of Simon the leper. Now, There's no main point that I have here today, but I want us to just pause for a second on Simon the leper because Simon the leper was a social outcast. He was a man that had been um, put out away from the community because he had leprosy. And leprosy was a skin disease that was very contagious, but also for the people of God, for the Jews uh, in the book of Leviticus, 
It was said that leprosy made you ceremonially unclean and that you needed to be separated from the people of God. But here we find Jesus not separating himself from Simon the leper, but actually being with him. In fact, embracing him. Scholars believe that now Simon the leper, that he was actually healed from his leprosy at this moment, but he still carried that title of the leper. Today, what I find so encouraging for me as an outcast uh, and for you, maybe if you have been understood and to be an outcast yourself, is that Jesus is willing to embrace you like he embraced Simon the leper. You see, you can be an outcast, right, because of your skin, because of your sexual orientation, because you've been divorced, because you're poor or whatever else in society. But Jesus, Jesus, he is willing to embrace you where you are and then move with you along the path as he transforms you and changes you and as he sups with you like he's doing with Simon the leper. Now, that's neither here or there for the message that I have for today, but I could not let that go without remarking on it. In verse 3, it says that while he was at the house of Simon the leper and he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured it on his head. There's four things I want us to learn from the example of this woman that we don't know her name quite yet, but we will find it out later. We want to find out, one, that our devotion to Jesus will be costly. Our devotion to Jesus will be costly. You see, this woman took not only some little cheap essential oil from H-E-B, like Cherish and I buy it, it's like $10 that we put in our diffuser. No, no, no. No, she took the very best that she had. She took her expensive oil. And this oil was from actually the Himalayan mountains. And then it made its way across from East Asia through Persia into Israel. And so that accounted for the high cost of it because it was precious. It was precious and it took a lot of work for it to get to the people in Israel. And so she brought her alabaster jar, and alabaster is just a rock or a mineral, and she broke it. And if you can imagine, and if you can allow your senses to be infused, then you can smell this fragrance, this aromatic fragrance uh, in your nostrils. And you can hear the jar being broken and then poured out. You can see it running from the head of Jesus down to his feet. And you can see her massaging the oil into his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. Because this is what she's doing. She has come with her devotion and it was costly. You see, for you and I, our devotion to Jesus is going to cost us something. It has been said many times that our devotion to Jesus will cost us our time, our talent, and our treasure. It will affect your purse and your wallet. It will take the most precious thing that you cannot get back, which is your time. And it will require of you your special abilities and your gifts. Our devotion to Jesus will be costly. That's lesson number one from this woman. But lesson number two is that our devotion to Jesus should be joyous. 
Now, you're probably wondering where in the world in these one through nine verses in Mark chapter 14 do you see anything about joy? Well, it's not quite there. But in a parallel account, in John chapter 12, we find out that the name of this woman that we don't know in the book of Mark is that her name is Mary. Now, she's not Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, but she is Mary, the sister of Martha, and also the sister of Lazarus. If you went to John chapter 11, you would find out that Mary and Martha had somewhat of a relationship with Jesus, because when Lazarus, their brother, got sick, they sent for, Laz for Jesus to come and see about Lazarus. Well, Jesus was doing his thing. He was uh, preaching to the crowds and teaching and leading his disciples. And he told his disciples, in two days, we'll go see about Lazarus in Bethany. Well, by the time that Jesus makes it to Bethany to Lazarus, what has happened is, is Lazarus has died. Now, Mary and Martha, understandably so, are saddened. They have lost their dear brother. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, he says to Mary and Martha, take me to your brother. Take me to Lazarus. Take me to his grave. And what they find is, or what you hear Martha saying is, Lord, surely you know, and the King James Version says it best, he stinketh. I always find that funny. Cherish and I always laugh at that together. He stinketh. But yet Jesus says, he says, open up the grave. And when they open up the grave, Jesus simply calls out, Lazarus, come forth. Such powerful words. And eventually, Lazarus in his grave clothes is awakened from death to life. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, our devotion to Jesus should be joyous because Mary's devotion to Jesus was joyous because she had exhibit, had seen and experienced the power of Jesus to bring back life from death. And for you and I, we have to get it into our minds and into our hearts that Jesus can move us from spiritual death to spiritual life. For the loved ones that who don't know Jesus yet, he can move them from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so our devotion to Jesus should be one of joy. How Mary had joy breaking that alabaster jar and pouring it over the head and the feet of Jesus. Lesson number three from Mary's devotion is that our devotion to Jesus should be radical. It should be radical. Now, radical, if we think about it, means to be on the extreme. In our day and age, there is much radicalness happening in our politics on both the, the left and the right. It means to be on the extreme, to be out of the norm and surely this woman who was seen to be a second-class citizen in her day was doing something radical by approaching Jesus with her most expensive gift. In fact, verse 4 says, but some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? They thought this is too much. For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii. 300 denarii was a year's worth of wages. To put that in modern day terms, if we wanted to just put it on the average salary of an individual in America, that's $35,000. 
Now, to some of us, that, that may be on the lower scale. So let's move it on up and put it to 50 or 60 or $70,000 of a year's wage. Think about your own wage and think about if you were to spend a year's worth of wage on some oil. And then to pour it out on someone. What she did was radical. What she did was out of the norm. And Jesus is calling us in our devotion to be radical. If we can get practical, that means sometimes while we're singing and worship together on a Sunday afternoon or even next Sunday morning as we come together to praise and uh, praise God and to celebrate the resurrection, that means maybe in our own physical bodies, we might be a little bit more radical in the way that we sing out to the Lord with jubilation. And maybe we might want to clap our hands or maybe we might even get crazy enough to stomp our feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I grew up that way, so that was, that's real for me. And then lastly, the fourth lesson that we learn is that our devotion to Jesus must be, ought to be, cross-centered. Now, it takes a little bit of work, but I, I think it makes sense. When we read verse 8, this is Jesus talking. He says, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Now, up until this point, Jesus had told his disciples not one time, not two times, but three times that he was going to die. He had predicted his death. And so here in this eighth verse, when he's saying that she's anointed his body in advance for burial, he's saying to them again, hey guys, just like I've told you the three other times, I'm telling you now, I'm going to die. And it's going to be soon. But for us, what we should hear and what we should think about when we hear this being on the other side of the cross is we should hear that the death of Jesus is significant. Now, next week we celebrate him coming back from the dead, but I want us to think for a second just about the death of Jesus because our devotion to Jesus should be centered and should be motivated by this death that he has. And there's three things that I want you to think about when we think about the death of Jesus. One is his substitution. His life was given for your life and for my life. Oh, but that's not all of the story. In fact, he dies in our place. The cross that he took on, we deserve. The scriptures tell us in uh, Corinthians that he that knew no sin became sin for us. Paul also tells us in Galatians that he became a curse for us. So he substituted his life for us. Secondly, his death is not only a substitutionary atonement, but it is also a redeeming work. It is the fact that he has paid a price for us. The song that we sung before we had the kids message talked about that there was a debt that is owed. You see, there is a debt that you and I, that we have racked up through our own sinful nature, not just for the sins that we've done, but for the very moment that we have been born, we have owed a debt to God because of our sinful nature. But Jesus in his death has come and paid that debt. 
He has come and paid that debt. And then the third thing, and this is a big word, don't be scared of it, please, please. It's in the Bible, John and 1 John, and it is the word propitiation, propitiation. That's a big fancy word, but all it means is that when Jesus died, he died on the cross, he was satisfying the wrath of God. Again, the song that we sung before the kids' message said that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God because we had stored up wrath from God for us because of our sinful nature. And so our devotion to Jesus must be cross-centered. It must be death centered because of his substitutionary atonement and because of his redeeming work and because he was the propitiation, the satisfier of the wrath of God for you and I. And so today as I close, I want to challenge you, encourage you to ask yourself one question. To ask yourself, what is my level of devotion to Jesus? What is my level of devotion to Jesus? Let's pray. Dear God, we ask that you help us have a real understanding of where we are in our devotion to you. God, are we on the lower end of being devoted? Then I I pray that you would move us step by step, an inch or more, closer in our intensity of devotion to you. Lord, I ask that our devotion to you, that we would be willing to pay the cost, that we would find joy in our devotion to you. God, and we ask that our devotion would spur others to be devoted. And so help us, dear Jesus, to be extravagantly devoted to you. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.